Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We are here to help people experience a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We hope you were blessed with this message, recorded live from Palmerston North, New Zealand. Enjoy. Open up to Matthew 6, and ch- uh, verse 19 to 24. If you don't have your Bible, then you can see it up on the screen there. But it says this, I know a lot of you love this pe- uh, passage of Scripture. It's what it says. Do... I already got it wrong. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let me say that again. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides a light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And I'm talking about here, the, what, what it's saying is that what you put your focus on in life, where your eyes are set on. In verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Let me say that again for the people down the back. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Who loves that word, money? I saw a couple of hands. (laughs) We need to talk about money. It's almost like a swear word when you bring it up in church. It's almost like, well, you can talk about everything else, but how dare you talk about money and how dare you talk about my money. You're allowed everything else, but not there. And if you're visiting here this morning, welcome. Uh, (laughs) My name's Zion, part of the team here. So great to have you. I'm not this intense most of the time. Hey, Sophie, she's shaking her head, but really she means, yes, you are. But if you're visiting here this morning, I want you to know that uh, this is really the first time I've ever spoken on this topic, honestly. Um, and I, I can't even remember that, uh, I, I remember the last time we actually spoke into this on a Sunday. But like I said, there are a few topics that can cause us to get squeamish, as we do when it comes to talking about money. You can hardly open an app these days on your phone or open up stuff or the NZ Herald or anything like that without someone trying to sell you something. Everybody is trying to sell you something, except for me, hopefully. Uh, But everybody else. But people all over the world, we live in a global society where everybody seems to be wanting to sell something. It's in our face every day because whether you like it or not, our world revolves around money. Whether you like it or not, our world revolves around money. And like us, maybe you, myself and Sophie, you probably had letters in the mail from, um, from companies congratulating you, like, well done, that's really awesome, this is an awesome thing, congratulating you that your credit limit has increased or in a bid to try and get you to get into more debt with high interest rates. I mean, who loves high interest rates? Nobody. 
But it's like this thing that everybody seems to want or that the world wants is for you to spend more money even at the expense of the way that you live your life. But money is not just important in the world that we live in today. Even in the time of Jesus, He knew the importance of money in people's lives. In fact, one out of 10 verses in the Gospels deals with money. There are more than 2,300 verses on money, wealth, and possessions, which is twice as many as faith and prayer combined. There are twice as many verses about money, wealth, and possessions than there are about faith and prayer combined, just in case you didn't hear me. Roughly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship. What is biblical stewardship? Well, stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. That's what, uh, that's what stewardship is. And 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables dealt with money or possessions. Why? Because Jesus knew that in the time that He lived, And in the days that we are in today, that money was far more than just a matter of spreadsheets. It was far more than just a matter of your bank account. It was far more than just a matter of the wish list that you have, all the things that you want to buy in the future. I know you're probably thinking, probably don't want to think about work at the moment, but think about it, a significant portion of your life will revolve around earning, saving, giving, and spending money. If you think about the week that is ahead, if you think about the month that is to come, and think about all the time that you're going to be working in the near future to earn money, so much of our time is about earning more money. So your relationship with money, I know I'm saying money a lot, you know, it's hallelujah. Your relationship with money isn't something you can just brush aside as unspiritual or unnecessary. Let me say that again. We cannot think that money is something that's just unspiritual and insignificant and not worth our attention. It is so important for us, especially as believers, as Christians, for us to have a good grasp about what Jesus and the Bible says about money. We can't just go about our lives just taking on the advice and the opinion of the world, but not coming back to what God says about using money. He likes that word. I already said it before. In fact, in our key text this morning, Jesus plainly tells us that wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, where your money, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that's why you don't need to look so deep to see where someone's heart is because it will generally always be where their money is going. If you wanna know where your heart is this morning, take a look at your bank account and it'll probably give you a good indication that your heart is at BK or McDonald's (laughs) or Hallenstein's, I don't know, whatever. But where your money goes, so too does your heart. Even the apostle Paul knew how important this all was. 
when he wrote his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, after spending so much time working with him, traveling with him, and it, it, it was, he spoke these words, he wrote these words, not, not just in the tone of a friend, but he wrote these words in the tone of a father to a son, instruct, a father instructing a son. He even called Timothy his true child in the faith. Isn't that awesome? Paul calling Timothy his true child in the faith. And Paul tells him in this way to teach these things and encourage everyone to obey them. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 2, teach these things and encourage everyone to obey them. A few verses later in 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10, it says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great worth. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great work. Contentment can be the wealth that you are looking for. And just quickly, I just wanna to speak to the teenagers, the young adults or anybody else that is, uh, that is dealing in this area. The greatest thing that many of us can have in the season that we're in is a deep contentment with what we already have. I think this world is crying out and saying, you need to get this. You need to add this. You need to buy this. If you wanna be here, then you need to have all of this. You need to pay for that. You need to gain this or that. But the Bible says that you don't need something added to you to be content. I think it's just such great power when we understand that contentment is a value that will change our lives forever. I know others are far more qualified to speak into this, but refuse to live by the world's standards of instant gratification. Because every young adult, every teenager, I just want you to know, refuse to live by the world's standards of instant gratification. What I mean by that, instant gratification means that I will enjoy it now and I will pay for it later. I will reap the benefits of something today and I'll pay the price tomorrow. That is the world standards, but God is saying to you today, and it's the word is for so many people here, stop trying to enjoy something now and pay for it later. Just enjoy what you have already and be okay with what God has placed already in your hands. Amen. Can someone give me an amen? I'm talking about afterpay and, and, and other schemes that will give you what you want today and then you don't have to pay for them until tomorrow. It's, it's, it's I just, just get rid of it. Don't, don't use it. Don't, don't have it as something in your life that you have something today. I know that there's other areas. I know that you know, mortgages, that sort of thing that the Bible talks about. But beside that, just material things that we want today and that we pay for tomorrow, just get rid of it. Contentment is great wealth. But hey, true contentment isn't just who or what you have. I read this week that contentment is learning to be wholly satisfied in Jesus. And hey, we need a generation. Actually, we need every generation to know this, that if you want contentment, if you want to be wholly satisfied, the only place that you're gonna be completely and wholly satisfied is in a relationship with your Saviour. That's what we need to know. Stop chasing after something else. Stop trying to add something to your life. Stop trying to buy the next thing that will make you happy for a little while. Stop trying to look at other people and the way that their lifestyle is and what they have and it being envious of what other people own. Instead, take your eyes off everything else and put your eyes on your Saviour because true contentment is found in wholly being satisfied in Him. Can I get an amen? Come on, that's some good stuff right there. I need a bigger amen than that. Amen, amen, amen. It continues in verse seven. 
After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. I mean, that's so true. We fall into temptation and get plunged into ruin and destruction. We wonder why our lives are such a mess. In verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So what does that mean to us? Well, let me tell you, if money, is money a tool that you use or is money a master that you serve? I'll say that for the people down the back, amen. Is money a tool that you use or is money a master that you serve? Let me put it another way. If we don't get a hold of our money, then money will always have a hold over us. Oh, that's good. That, that's good. You need to put that, on, put that somewhere on your forehead or something like that. If we don't get a hold of our money, then money will always have a hold over us. But I want you to know this morning that you can have freedom in your finances. And this is the heart of what I want to say this morning. I don't want you to feel condemned or maybe when we use the word money or we talk about finances and, and all that sort of thing, it brings shame or guilt or, or, or feelings along those lines. But I want you to know that you don't have to feel that way because God's desire for you and your finances is for you to have freedom. Amen. But I don't mean freedom when it comes to just being able to do whatever we want to do. That's, that's the world's definition of freedom, just being able to do whatever, whenever, however we want. I mean freedom in the way that Jesus intended it, that we don't have to be a slave to the desire, to the fear, and to the lure of riches. Money does not have to have a hold of your life. Money doesn't have to be something that you're afraid of. Money doesn't have to be something that you live in constant fear of or, or when, you don't, when you lack it, it's something that just consumes your life. You can have freedom in your finances. Jesus put it plainly, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God, but still be a slave to your own desires. King Solomon put it in a more straightforward way in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. Those who love money, will never have enough. Isn't that amazing? I think it's so true. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Why is that? Because we always want more. Our flesh, our own desires, our own way of thinking. We always just want more. And we get more, but more never satisfies us. So what is the answer to all of this? If money does have a hold over me, if I were to really examine my life and honestly say that generosity isn't part of who I am, if I were to look at the way I save and spend and know that things are out of order, if I was to look at the way I do things, the way I live my life, I would know that it is not aligned to the way that God has intended me to look after and steward my finances. Well, then Jesus continues in the same chapter, Matthew 6.33, 
And he gives us the answer, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So number one, seek first the kingdom of God, make him your priority. Seek him first. Let me ask you a question. Is God an option for you or is he a priority? Is he an option or is he your priority? To put it another way, is he your priority at all times or just out of convenience? Is he your priority? Is he your number one? Is he, is he, is he what you place as the first in your life or is it just when you desperately need him? I know for sure that, you know, there are things that come up in life. I know there are, there are difficulties. I know that there are times when we lack or that we believe in God. And maybe for you, it's coming on Sunday is the day that you make God your number one. Or maybe it's just for a couple of hours on Sunday that you make God. He's gonna be my priority on a Sunday. But when it comes to Monday, He can take a back row seat. But I wanna ask you this morning, is He the priority in your life in every season at every time, in every day, in every way, is He your priority? Or is it just like when you go to town and you're trying to find a car park and you can't find a car park because there are no car parks in the town at the moment because the plaza and da, 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 da. And in that moment you say, God, I need a car park. You're my number one. I love you, I always serve you. And then He gives you a car park. I don't know how it happens, but when I pray for a car park, it seems that like there's always a car park. It's awesome. And then I get the car park. Oh, thanks, God. We'll see you later. We'll see you in a couple of days. Is he a priority or is he just a God of convenience? And I would hope that for you here today that he's not just somebody that you have in your life. He's not just an option that you have in your utility belt, but he's a God that's directing your steps, making the way, leading you by his voice, and you're following him in every way and every area of your life. Can I get an amen? That was good. That was really good. That's why when we gather, when we gather together on a Sunday, the first thing we always do is we worship. You know, I'm sure that you come and you probably, you know, you'd be like, man, I just really want to hear Zion first. <laughs> but it's not like that. I'm kidding, by the way. Like, I'm not that egotistical. But we always, when we gather, we always make God a priority. We say, God, I'm gonna worship you first. I may not want to, I may not feel like it. I may not want to stand there for 30 or 20 minutes with my hands raised and singing the words on the screen because my life is just not aligned where the words want me to be. But God, I'm gonna make you my priority, my number one. Worship, it's not just a spectator sport and a time just to listen to the worship team. It's a recommitment every time we gather to say, Jesus, you are my first at all times and at all seasons. That's why I really think for some people here today, you need to have a daily habit of including worship in your life. So worship isn't just an event that you go to, but worship is a lifestyle that you live out of. And let me tell you that when you live out of a lifestyle of worship and we gather together like this, it's not something that you have to build yourself into, but it's a natural reaction because it's how you live your life. We need a people, we need a generation that have a response of worship, a natural response of worship, and not just doing it because we have to. Amen. 
A.W. Tozer, a great theologian says this, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. I don't know if you've noticed, but when I lift Him up, when I make Him my number one, when I glorify His name, when he, when he becomes the number one, the thing above all things, everything else under it just seems to have a way of working itself out. Number two, we need to do it all His way. What is it? We need to live righteously. We need to do it all His way. And that's why over the next few weeks, there are a lot of the life groups, I think the majority of the life groups, we're going to be exploring this topic over the next four or five weeks. We've got some amazing uh, content from the Crawfords and which, which the series is based off. And we're going to be diving into what it means to live a life with our finances based on kingdom principles. And let me encourage you, please get into a life group. Don't just live your life, but get around people. Get, get into an, an environment where you can learn about what God says about money. It's so important, just dive in, go online after the service or talk to a leader and just say, hi, I'm coming this Wednesday or wherever it may be, whenever it may be, and I'm bringing food and it's gonna be a good time and I want to learn more about this. Romans 11, 33 says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. We need to do it His way, not our way, not with our own understanding, not with our own perspective or opinion, but we need to understand that God knows best. Amen. I agree with that, amen. That God knows best. Did you know that the God of the universe that created everything, the stars, the moons, the sky, the water and uh, the water that we enjoy, the, the, the breath in our lungs, the, the mountain peaks, the amazing people that you sit with today, uh, the, the Son, I've already said that, He created all of that. And did you know that He's smarter than you? No, I know it's amazing because some of you are very intelligent. But it doesn't matter how many doctorates or degrees or books that you've read, God knows best. And I think if we understand that, then we'd stop trying to follow the world's advice and would start to look at the answer, the word that He's already given to us. And I think if it was important to Jesus, it's important, of course, to God. And if it's important to them, to Him, they have something. He has something. Trinity, like, just follow me. He has something to say about it. Can I also encourage you, maybe over the next few days, just to read, read a chapter in Proverbs, which have some amazing financial uh, truths that you can apply to your life. Number three, He will provide. If you do things God's way, you'll see the fruit in your life of what God always intended. Kingdom living will lead to kingdom outcomes. If you live the way that God intended, if you follow what God has said, He will bring about what He intended for your life. I know that for myself and Sophie, for the, late, uh, for the first couple of years when we were married and and we were, we were, you know, always kind of living on the edge and, and in some ways when it came to finances and just dealing with that whole area of our lives. We never wanted to complain about it or blame anyone because, of course, we made the decision to get married. I mean, so you were 19 when, when we got married, and that's an amazing thought or thing in one sense. But in another, it's like, we don't know what we're doing. Um, 
Actually, we still don't know what we're doing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sophie knows what we're doing, all right? It's always a good way to live, you know? Sophie, God, they know what they're doing. I'll just follow behind. Woohoo! Mow the lawns. Yes, ma'am. Um, <laughs> but time and again, God provided because we, did, we decided at the very beginning of our marriage that we're going to put God first and we're not going to live by what we feel, but we're going to live by what He said. And we're going to take the principles of the Word and apply them to our lives. We're going to trust that God knows better than us. And if we do things God's ways, we're going to, we know and we're going to believe and we're going to be faithful. We're going to trust in the fact that God will be faithful and that He will provide in the ways that only He can. By doing the little things, following God in the little ways brings about a big outcome. Amen. And if you're in need of a miracle today, you've been trying to do it God's way. You've been trying to do it His way. I'm believing that over the next few weeks, as we all come together, as we all align ourselves and make a decision that we're gonna live by kingdom principles in this area of our lives, that He's gonna shift some things in this house. I really believe that there was a, there was a prophetic declaration that we were singing before. This is a house of miracles. I'm really believing that over this time, there are going to be financial miracles that are gonna take place. I will not stand, what am I trying to say? I will, I will, I will, I will, not, I will not be content with, not, with God not doing what I know He can do in our lives. That God will provide that job. That He's going to shift your spouse's heart so you can have that difficult conversation. You're going to have breakthrough in that area of your life, that your workplace, that you're going to have something, God's going to move in that area. Whatever it may be, let's believe together that God is going to shift and make a shift in our lives as we shift ourselves to align in Him. He's going to make a way for you. He's going to do something in your life. He's going to bring about a miracle. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I really do believe that for you this morning. But for us, as we get ready over the next few weeks, as we dive into this, there are just two things that I, I think we, we should know, two, two very important things that we all need to know. Firstly, everything that you have belongs to God. Write that down. If you, if you just have one thing that you, that, you, that you need to know, it's that everything that you have belongs to God. You don't own what you think you own. You don't own what you think you own. Yes, your name might be on the house deed. Your name might be on the car rego. You might have an office with your name on it. You might have a job description that you were given a little while ago. You may own some stuff and you walk into your home and your, your, your name may come up on the TV or your computer screen or whatever it may be, but you don't own what you own. Everything that you have, even the breath in your lungs, the talent you possess to do the job that you have, ultimately, it all belongs to God. And there is such great freedom in that because it's not my fault, I'm the way I am. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> ah, um, everything we have belongs to God. I belong to God. You belong to God. We all belong to God. In Genesis 1 verse 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me tell you, you did not create the heavens and the earth. God did. And He's the owner of it. 
Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Psalm 50, 10 to 12, for all the animals of the forest are mine, not mine, God's. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals on the, on the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you because He's God and He doesn't need your help. Uh, for all the world is mine and everything in it. And just in case you thought that I meant everything in the world except for you, Romans 14, 8, which is New, New, New Testament. If we live, it's to honour the Lord. And if we die, it's to honour the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You belong to God. You're His fault. No, I'm kidding. Amen. Doesn't it just bring us great freedom? So God, everything is yours. Everything I see, everything I touch, everything I feel, everything I enjoy, everything I endure. God, it's all yours. You're so good and we thank you for creating this world that we get to enjoy in you. I encourage you, if you take a trip over the next few days or weeks and you look out of the beautiful ranges and the hills and the, and the sheep, it's not spring yet, but the little lammies and spring and da 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 God created that all. You can just sit back and enjoy and just be like, thank you, God. You did that for me. You, all of it, oh, so good. The world loves to think that what I have is my own. It's a world perspective. No, 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 no. It's mine. Mine, 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 mine. What, what are those, like ducks or something like that off that TV show, Seagulls? Mine, 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 is that right? Ah, oh, awesome, relevant, let's go. I think it came out like 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm catching up. But let me tell you that if you will only ever find your life if you make a decision to lose it. If you lay it in your life, if you remind yourself every day that all that you have, all that's within you and around you is already His, that is the beginning of a partnership where God can use you. We understand that fact first and foremost. Number two, God has entrusted you to be faithful with what you have. God has entrusted you to be faithful with what you have. Yes, everything belongs to God. But then He imparts into each of us gifts, talent, time, resource in order for His will to be fulfilled. I think so much of your, your life will change if you were to remind yourself in everything that you do that it is a gift from God for you to take hold of, that everything you do, the job that you do, the, the ability to think, that, that all that is God's has been entrusted to you to use to bring Him glory and to make a difference in this world. Amen. I've shared this before, but the, the house that Sophie and I live in was, was Sophie's family home growing up and Whenever I was invited over for dinner when we were engaged and when we were dating, I, 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 it was really awesome and I really enjoyed it, but it was not my home. And so I went to Sophie's home and, and I would enter and say hello to the family. I would enjoy dinner. Then I would leave. I would leave the house because it was no longer my responsibility. But over the past year, uh, myself and Sophie, it's now our home, thank God. And, and that's such an awesome thing to, to live in Sophie's family home and, and uh, everything has changed now. 
Everything has changed because I don't just look at the house and the home and the lawns, oh, the lawns. Uh, and I say that's somebody else's problem and I can now leave, but that is, it's God's, yes, but now it has been entrusted to me to take care and to look after. Let me tell you that God has placed so much in you and with you and around you that He has called you to look after. He has called you to steward. He's called you to do your best with that this house that we have now, right now, this church building has been entrusted to us, the job that you have, the family that you have, the, the, the shoes that you have, it's all been given to you to be looked after by you because God is a generous God and He's given you gifts for you to use in this life that we have. That house, it's, it's ours to make the most of. It's ours to be faithful with. It's ours to carry and look after. But God is calling you to make a difference with what He's entrusted you with. Can't take lightly the way the responsibility that comes with this great gift from God, especially when it comes to stewarding finances, especially when it comes to stewarding the thing that Jesus spoke about so often, our money. It's, all, it's God's in the first place, but it's been entrusted to us to take care of and to nurture and to grow and to be a blessing with. This is important because in Luke 16, 10, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If we want to be entrusted with more, it starts with how you're faithful now. How you're faithful now. Just a couple more things before we finish up. In Matthew 25, 14, Jesus tells us the parable of the talents. Now, talent in the Bible times, it wasn't a talent as we describe it today. It's a talent was money. And apparently a talent in, the, in these times were worth in today's currency about a million dollars, which is a lot of money, if you haven't noticed. I mean, if it's not a lot of money to you, let's have a conversation. Um, <laughs> Oh, let's continue. Um, <laughs> so a master comes to his servants before he is about to travel to a far off country. And he gives to, he has three servants and to one servant he gives one talent, another he gives two and to the last he gives five and each according to the ability that God, God uh, the Bible says. And so, and so he, then he departs and he goes off. And the thing I want you to catch this morning is that Notice how the master never told them exactly what to do with the money that was given them. He didn't give them a plan. He didn't tell them what to do. He didn't do anything really. He just gave it to them and left for an extended period of time. He went to a far off country. I think it'll be a matter of years, if not decades, until the master came back. And then he comes back and the, the servant with five has doubled it to 10. The, the servant with two has doubled it to Four, yes, I can do math. And the servant with one had, was so afraid that he, instead of you, you doing something with it, he buried it and didn't do anything. The master came back and he said to the first, well done, good and faithful service. But to the last, he said, why could you not do anything with it, you wicked and lazy servant? What I want us to know is that God gives it to us but then it is our responsibility. It was just expected by the master that they would do something with it. 
It was expected that they wouldn't be lazy and indifferent to what was in their hands. And in every area of your life, God has generously given you all that He had, but He leaves it to you to do things His way in order to bring a return on the investment that has been imparted to your life. And I'm not saying that you have to double everything you have or anything like that, but what I am saying that God is very interested with the investment that He has given to you. Last story before we finish. In Luke 21, it talks about the story of a widow and I'll just read it out. While Jesus was in the temple, He watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of us, more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of this surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Jesus and the disciples were watching as people came and gave to the temple, gave to the church of what they had, came and gave their tithe. And this was undoubtedly a time, I'm sure, where people and were showing off what they had and showing off to God and showing off to other people of how much money they were given because of how generous they were. But Jesus looks beyond that and He sees a woman He just gave of what she had. And I wanna tell you today, if you're feeling like you don't have much, if you're feeling like you don't have anything, if you're feeling like what God has given you in this season to be insignificant and worth nothing, I want you to know something. Little in the eyes of man is much to God when it is in the hands of someone faithful. Jesus looked at the widow and He says that I've seen a lot of people give a lot today but she has given more than anybody else because of the heart that she gave it in. Let me say that again. Little in the eyes of man is much to God when it is in the hands of someone faithful. It's not a matter of what God has given you. It's a matter of the heart in which you give back to Him. I know that people here today, maybe, maybe, maybe you're someone either here or online and, and you're working two jobs with a very little time that you have on your hands. Maybe there are single parents here today and I really feel for you and I really, I, I, I really do because what, a, what an incredible thing to have to journey through and you're trying to manage everything that you own and having to deal with all the different situations that come by having to look after children on your own and marriages that are teetering on the edge because of money issues or whatever it may be or whatever situation you might find yourself in. Even if it's just a little that you have, little in the eyes of man is much to God. It is much to God when it is in the hands of someone faithful. You might just have something small. You may just have something small in your eyes or in man's eyes, but it is so much to God when you use it faithfully for what He has called you to do. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can comment, subscribe, or share it with your friends. For more information, visit us at lifechurchpn.co.nz. Have a blessed week.